want to ask y'all, uh, when you uh, were growing up as a kid, or for those of you who are all in the, in the season of being a kid right now, and you know this, when your parents are trying to get you into the habit of saying thank you, they do this little thing. When someone gives you something or someone does something for you, what do they do? They say, what do you say? And you say, thank you. Now, how many times, how many of you remember that, right? And then you catch yourself as a parent doing it. Every time somebody gives your kid something or does something for your kid, you want to say, what do you say? And you say, thank you. And usually followed by something like, now go give them a hug, right? And we, we, we do these things. And I can remember that, and somewhere down the line, I hopefully get it, and I understand that because it was drilled into my head, and practice makes perfect or permanence, however you look at it, and uh, you're told to say thank you, so hopefully as you move on in life, you realize to be grateful and say thank you to people, and at appropriate times without having to have your mom tell you, what do you say, those kind of things. Well, there's something powerful that happens, isn't it, when someone says thank you to says thank you to us, or says writes us a card, or sends us a note, or calls and says, "Hey, I just want to really thank you for," and specifically tell you why they are thankful for you and what you did for them. That that means a lot to people. Showing that kind of gratitude makes the receiver feel very appreciated, very special, and very valued. Well, many years ago, there was a, a pastor. He was also a writer, and his name was William Stidger. And as he was kind of sitting around one night reflecting on his life and his career, he thought about his high school literature teacher who had really inspired in him literature and reading and writing that uh, prepared him. She encouraged him a lot and really prepared him for his um, career as a pastor and a writer. And as he thought about that, he goes, you know, I don't think I ever really thanked her for what she did for me, all that encouragement she gave me and really brought you know, my passion for, for literature and writing and, and speaking to light. I never really thought about it. So he thought about, I'm going to find out her address and I'm going to send her a letter. So he wrote her this letter, uh, thank you for, for what um, she had done in his life. So uh, several days later, he gets a letter back and uh, it's uh, written, he can tell by a very shaky hand, the, the writing's very shaky but it says this, My dear Willie, I am now an old lady in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely and seemingly like the last leaf of fall left behind. You will be interested to know, Willie, that I taught school for 50 years, and in all that time, yours is the first note of appreciation I have ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many years many years. I know he was glad that he sent that note. Now, can you imagine teaching school for 50 years, pouring your life and yourself into these kids? And I'm sure there were some challenges along the way of 50 years, and not one person ever wrote you a note and told you thank you. But finally, at the perfect timing, and that's how God's timing is a lot of time, it's perfect, she gets this letter. Well, the Wall Street Journal reports that being appreciated is one of the greatest motivators on the job that people can get, even better than money many times. Researchers at the London School of Economics analyzed more than 50 studies that looked at what gets people charged up in their, in their work. And they concluded that we give our best effort if the work, number one, gets us interested and excited. That's the number one thing. And if we feel that it's providing meaning and purpose, we get excited about that. And if others appreciate what we're doing, that motivates us as well. And I probably, all of y'all can resonate with that. 
So two business professors designed this study in which they asked professionals to advise young students who were close to graduating on how to put together a cover letter for their resume. So they asked these professionals to advise these students um, that were applying for jobs. So after receiving the suggestions, the students were to go back to that same person who helped them and ask them for some more help. So some 32% of the professionals agreed to do it again, only 32%. But the students added a single line to their note about the feedback. They said, thank you so much. I am really grateful for your help on my cover letter. All of a sudden, a full 66% of the providers said they would help again. It almost doubled simply because they got an expression of gratitude. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like when people say thank you, don't you? And sometimes when we do something or go out of our way to do something for somebody and there doesn't seem to be any gratitude or any thanks for that, we feel kind of like, did they even recognize what I did? Did they even remember that I did something for them? Did they even recognize that? So why don't we, why don't we do that more? If we know people need thanks, we know we need thanks, we know people appreciate it and that it motivates them, why don't we do it more? I mean, we were raised, right? Y'all all just said, yeah, my mama raised me, right? She told me to say thank you. Why don't we do it? I mean, for crying out loud, we're getting ready to celebrate a national holiday this week about thank you, right? And it makes us and forces us to think about it. But we get busy. I don't think we're mean. I don't think we really don't care. I don't think it's that we don't appreciate people and things that happen in our life. But I do think we're just busy. We get distracted. We're so busy. Some of you right now, you're not hearing anything I'm saying. I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. You're thinking about the crazy relatives that's coming to your house this week. You're thinking about who's going to cook dessert or who's going to cook the turkey. Is everything, do we have enough stuff? What's my list? i got to go to the grocery store and all this. You're thinking about all these things. And it's, it's understandable. We're in a, a crazy culture. When we're done with one thing, we're on to the next, and we don't even reflect on what has just happened and maybe who do we need to thank and give some appreciation to. We're constantly looking ahead, feeling that we don't want to miss out on anything, so we just keep scrolling, don't we? Keep scrolling, don't want to miss anything, or we keep rolling in our busy schedule so that we don't miss anything. And sometimes we go, oh, I meant to send. I know a lot of you right now are saying, you know, you're right, Craig. I've been thinking this week I need to send a thank you note. I need to call so-and-so. I need to send an email. I need to send a text and tell so-and-so I appreciate something they did for me. And we intend to do it, but we just don't because we're distracted. But I, like many of us, forget to pause and reflect and take time to say thank you. But not only to say thank you, but to express it in a way, maybe in a practical way, like through a card. And actually, it's that simple, open up a card and see that I actually took the time to take a pen and write with my hand how much I appreciated them and how much they mean to me or how blessed I am to, to have them in my life. Well, if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, we've been doing a series on Jesus' questions. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asked over 300 questions. That's a lot of questions, isn't it? And it was a teaching method, as we've talked about over the last few weeks. And last week, we looked at the most important question when Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? But today, I want to look at really a trio of questions in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus asked after one man expresses to Jesus specifically his gratitude for what he's done for him. So we're going to look at Luke's gospel. And Luke is the only one who mentions this story out of the four gospels. It's an interesting story. You may have heard it before. But it's in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. You can turn to that in your Bibles or your 
phones, and I think we're going to have it on the screen here. There it is. Thank you, guys. And we're going to read that. So this is what Dr. Luke says. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. And this may be a familiar story to you, but in Luke's gospel in this chapter 17, we recognize Jesus has already predicted his death several times to his disciples, and they're still trying to grasp what in the world is Jesus talking about. But they're on their way to Jerusalem to ultimately, Jesus knows that he is going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be tried and convicted and sentenced and hung on a cross and ultimately to die for the sins of the world. He knows all this is coming as they go towards this last Passover feast that he'll be sharing with his disciples. But before then, Luke takes us through these different journeys of travel through Samaria and Galilee. And Jesus stops in these little towns and little places. And he has these encounters that the different disciples put in their hard drives and later would put in the Gospels about stories and things that Jesus did through his teaching, through his healings. And this is one of them. And so as he approaches this particular village, and it doesn't tell us uh, what this village is, what the name of it was. We just know it's somewhere in that area of Samaria and Galilee. And you remember last week it was very specific. It was in Caesarea Philippi, and that was specific. But for whatever reason, Luke doesn't tell us specifically the name of this village. But we do know that as Jesus is approaching the village, there's ten men who were lepers, and they're outside of the town, and they see Jesus approaching. Now, I don't know how much y'all know about leprosy, but it's this terrible skin disease that starts as a, uh, a skin infection but goes into many other things that can be just devastating to the point that it actually rots parts of your, your body off. It, it's horrible and debilitating. And uh, in those days, it was uh, sometimes uh, you, know, you were able to diagnose it, but you didn't have a lot of doctors in those days. So many times the person that would diagnose leprosy would be the priest. Because you couldn't come into the temple, you couldn't even be in your neighborhood, you couldn't even be with your family if you had leprosy. You were asked to go outside of your town. Can you imagine? Go outside of your town and stay there by yourself and yell at people when they, when they get close. Goes, um, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And you had to stay out there till you got over this leprosy. And then you had to go present yourself to the priest who would let you back into the town and back into worship. So think about it. You have this terrible skin disease. And instead of being able to be ministered to by your family and friends, you have to go out outside of the town and just deal with it, suffer with it. Man, I'm glad we've changed that. So Jesus has these ten guys who have come together, and they've formed like a, basically a community. Hey, we're all in this together. A lot of them probably think, I'm going to die because I have this. It's going to get worse. Maybe some of them have already lost some uh, you know, a finger, or they see it getting worse, it's spreading, and how devastating that can be, thinking, I'm never going to get to see my family again. I'm never going to get back to the temple and worship like I've done all my life. I'm never going to get to go back with the guys I've worked with for years and do what I've been doing. My life is back at the, you know, outside of the city, just sitting here with these other guys. 
And apparently these men had possibly heard of Jesus' reputation for healing. They know that he heals people. And maybe they've been saying, I heard he's in the area. You know, they couldn't check their phones and see where he is on his location. But they could, by word of mouth, know that Jesus has healed people all over this region. And he's in this region of Galilee and Samaria. Maybe he'll come by our town. And hey, it's a shot. It's a shot because we've got nothing else. Nobody's willing to help us. All we do is just we're out here and hope that it gets better. So they're waiting. And maybe they thought they saw Jesus coming many times and got all excited and go, no, it's not him. Oh, maybe this is it. No, that's just a, some, some travelers. But this particular day they see Jesus, and I don't know if he had crowds surrounding him or what, but it seems like Jesus is maybe by himself this time, and he's coming in. And they see him approaching, and they realize it's him, it's Jesus. How did they know it was Jesus? I'm not sure. Maybe they had tried to get to him before, and the crowd prevented them at some point because they couldn't get close to crowds. But at this particular time, they see him coming. And they also know that Jesus is approachable. They've probably heard that Jesus is not afraid to go to the man possessed with demons and touch him and call out the demons. To touch people who have had leprosy. He's not afraid of any of that. They've heard of Jesus by reputation probably. And they want that healing that he can bring. So they still followed protocol. They were at a distance when they start yelling at Jesus. But they don't say unclean, unclean. They just say, Jesus, have pity on us. We'll take anything. We have nothing left. No doctor can heal us. No priest has given us the check to come back into the community. We're out here. So please have pity on us. Master, And when Jesus saw them, he probably noticed that they were lepers. Maybe it even made Jesus kind of recoil of it and go, ooh, wow, that's pretty bad. And Jesus doesn't go and touch all ten of them, but he simply says, go and show yourself to the priest. And interestingly, all ten of these men start to walk to the priest. Now, why are they doing that? And as they walk, they notice that this skin infection is now gone. This awful scabs or whatever I had on my hands, it's all of a sudden, it's, it's gone. They're probably pulling up their robe and looking, is it, go, is, it, is it all gone everywhere? Is it all really gone? And they're seeing that it really is, and they're going to the priest. Why are they going to the priest? Because according to the law of Moses, you couldn't get back into community until the priest looked at you and says, okay, you're back in, you're healed. And I'm not making this up. If you want to look in Leviticus, I mean, there's all kind of laws for all this stuff. There's things about moles, the color of the hair on your mole, the way the scab looks, if there's any stuff coming out of it. I mean, it's unbelievable. If you have trouble sleeping, just break open the book of Leviticus one night. And, uh, I mean, you'll, you'll fall asleep or you'll be fascinated by all the specific laws there were. And I'm not making fun of those, though, but God had a reason for all of that, and they're still following this. So these guys are going because they realize they're healed and they can't wait to get back to their families. They can't wait to get back to their jobs. They can't wait to get back to their synagogue or their temple and be with their people. Who knows how long they've been separated by this horrible disease. And so I can imagine they're going as fast as they can to get to the priest and say, me first, me first. I can't wait to hug my kids, to hug my wife, to see my, my friends again that I have been had to just say, unclean, unclean, don't come close to me. Can you imagine? So all Tim seemed to be headed back in that direction to do just what Jesus asked them to do. And they could obviously see this miraculous healing that had happened in their bodies, but one of them stops and turns around and goes back to Jesus. And it says, he came back, he praised God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked Jesus. And Jesus was obviously very moved 
by this man stopping and coming back. Yes, going back to Jesus meant delaying the trip to the priests. And think about it, if you turn around and go back after the other nine have already gone, when you finally do get to the priest, guess what? You're going to be number ten. There's nine guys in front of you that are going to get to get checked out first, so you're going to have to wait. Which meant getting back to your family and former life later than you wanted to. But somehow this man understands all that and he doesn't care. No, my life has been ultimately changed right now by Jesus' healing. And, and I can't just go and say, hey, appreciate that and just run on. I've got to go back and say thank. I've got to acknowledge that God sent this man. I've got to acknowledge that I am healed and it's because of his connection to God. And I want to personally thank him. And then Luke throws in these five words. And he was a Samaritan. Do you all understand that? I don't think we do. We understand racial tension in our country, don't we? But I don't think we understand the racial tension that was going on in this first century that continues in the Middle East today. We hear about it all the time, don't we? It's still there. But Samaritan was someone who during the exile, back way back hundreds of years in the Old Testament, when um, the people had basically broken their covenant with God and Ultimately, Jerusalem was, was invaded by the Babylonians and absolutely destroyed, and people were carted off by the thousands, those who didn't get killed, to Babylon. And then there were just a few people who weren't educated and who weren't really in any kind of particular, um, you know, knew anything uh, as far as knowledge or had good jobs or were really that educated. They just stayed behind. And during that 70 years of captivity, these people intermarried with people, and they became Samaritans. And people look down on them because you married, intermarried and God told us not to. Well, we all were breaking the laws for crying out loud. Why are you mad at them? And here's another thing. Why are we mad at kids who were born into something their parents did? Have you ever thought about that? How many of you got to choose your parents? I didn't. How many of you got to choose to be, uh, be uh, born into this country? I didn't. It just happens. But for hundreds of years... These kids who were born into this were looked down on and called Samaritans. They were not pure. They were not part of God's family. They were not connected to God properly like we, the Jews, were. Forgetting that the very reason this all happened was because they broke their covenant with God. Think about that. We're so easy to judge other people when we have a lot of junk in our own life, aren't we? And it happens. So this man had been an outcast in two ways. He had been an outcast as a Samaritan in this Jewish area. And there were pockets of Samaritans, obviously, but the Jews would walk way around so they didn't have to deal with the Samaritans. There was a lot of hatred there. And it really doesn't make sense. But think about this, y'all. These ten guys were together. Regardless of whether they were Jews or Samaritans, they were together because of their skin disease. And it brought them together. And I wonder if they thought about this and talked about this. They talked about their families that they missed. They talked about their jobs that they missed. They talked about their friends that they missed. You can imagine sitting out there in the outskirts of town, maybe by a campfire and just talking. You're bearing your soul. you got nothing left. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to die with this horrible disease. And maybe they're, one night at the campfire they talk about, why do we hate each other so bad? Maybe they had those conversations. You know, it really wasn't anything the kids did. They were just born into this. Why do we hate them so bad? Well, they're not one of us. Yeah, but they didn't choose that. Somewhere way long down the line, this all started, and, and, and we've been hating each other ever since, and we don't really even know why. 
It seems crazy. And maybe they had become very close. But interestingly, he seemingly had community among these other lepers. And maybe that would continue, but think about it. Jesus is curious and asks these three questions. Were not all ten cleansed? Well, yeah, Jesus, all ten were cleansed. Well, where are the other nine? Well, I suppose they're sprinting to the priest as fast as they can so they can get back to their former life. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? No one, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't mean anything derogatory by calling him a foreigner. He's just saying, I know how it works in this culture. I'm very aware of of what's going on. And this is one of several times in the Gospels where Jesus commends a Samaritan or a Gentile, somebody that's not a Jew for their faith and action. And all four Gospel writers talk about these in different instances because I'm sure they remember this and go, why is Jesus commending them? Well, because they have the faith that I wish you did. Because they did the things that you should be doing. And you say they're not worthy. They're not connected to God. They're not pure. But yet they're the ones who have more faith in God than you do. So I think it was to make the Jews squirm a bit in their hatred and judgment of these groups. But it was also to remind them that God was offering salvation in Christ. There would be a new covenant. And now it's all people. As we go into Christmas, you remember the angel said to the shepherds, this is good news for what? Jewish people, all people, all people would hear the salvation that Jesus brought. So Jesus confirms when he tells this man, rise and go, your faith has made you well. He had already, in faith, started towards the priest for verification so he could be back into his community. And So what does Jesus mean, your faith has made you well? He's already done that first step and he was healed, so what else is there to be healed from? I thought he was well, Jesus. But this word is also translated within the New Testament as saved. Your faith has saved you. Saved him from what? Jesus is telling this man that he's not only been physically healed from this awful skin infection called leprosy, but now he has been spiritually healed and freed from sin, the thing that really disconnects him from God. Leprosy doesn't disconnect you from God. Your sin does. And now you're freed of that. And because of your faith, by you coming back and knowing there is something more than just being healed of a skin disease, there's something else in my soul that needs healing. You've recognized that. And because of your faith, you are now healed of that. You are saved from your sins. What a powerful thing it was to hear that. And as he goes now, knowing he's going to be at least in the 10th spot to see the priest, I think he's thinking this. What's it going to be like? In the next few weeks after all of this. How are those nine guys going to treat me now? When I see them on the streets and I want to run up and give them a hug and go, Hey, remember when we were... And they're like, whoa, what are you doing? Remember you're a Samaritan. Yeah, but we were, we were cool, man. We were around the, the campfire and we got really close. Yeah, but things are different. We went back to our old lives and legalism and hatred and religion. But what about the relationship? wonder if that happened. You ever seen The Breakfast Club? Any of y'all remember that old movie? You remember these kids had to go before school? And I'm not, I never condone movies when I talk about it. I'm just telling you something that hopefully connects with you. And these kids are all had to go for, for, you know, whatever after they had to come on a Saturday morning. And after all these things that happened, you know, they go, are you going to even say hey to me tomorrow at school? 
And I thought about this must have been the way he felt. Are they going to even say hey to me on the streets now that they're back in their communities, back in their synagogues, back in their temples, back to that old way of life? So this man came back to Jesus. He reflects on what has just happened. And he praised God in a loud voice, acknowledging. I mean, I think it came from the very, his very soul. Just And he falls down on his knees, uh, showing a humble position to Jesus. and says, I've heard about you. I don't really understand, but I know you have a connection with God. And what has just happened in my life is from you, and I want to thank you for that. And when we pause, whether out of necessity or choice, we can reflect and clearly see what we've been given and take action like this man did to show his thanks. And I'd like to think that I would be the one out of the ten that would go, yeah, I would have said thank you. But then I start thinking about me. And I was like, no, I would have been running like, I'm going to be first to the priest. Get out of my way. I would have been so eager to go back to my old life that I would have not stopped to thank Jesus. But here's the deal, y'all, and hear this. If you haven't heard anything else I said today, please hear this. Jesus does not heal us so that we can go back to our old lives. We don't need to go back to our old lives. They don't work. He heals us so that we can put to death our old lives and our old way of life and be resurrected to a completely new way of life. That's why baptism is so important and so symbolic. We bury our old life. But see, the Jewish religion had become more about religion and legalism and making sure that we keep all the laws more than it was ever about relationship, and people were missing it. And that's what Jesus was bringing. It's about relationship, going after the outcast that nobody cares about. He wants to resurrect us to a completely new way of life. Our old way wasn't getting it. It didn't save us, neither our soul and neither our sins. So this man took the time to reflect on what his healing meant, took the time to fall down at Jesus' feet and acknowledge Jesus for who he was, the son of the living God. When's the last time you or I did that? So, well, you just sang a bunch of songs, Craig. I, I did it then. But I mean, really took some time and said, God, I, I need to thank you because you know, I was a mess and you, you've helped me. But see, a lot of times in life, we want Jesus or we want God to fix something in our life, whether it's a relationship or some finances or some kind of physical thing. And I'll be honest with you, I get frustrated with this, and please don't hear me being um, flippant about this, but 90% of the requests we get in prayers, what do you think those are about? People's physical stuff. I bet God gets all those physical, and I understand it because people are hurting and they want to be you know, healed from that stuff. But a lot of times we forget that Jesus doesn't want to just heal us physically, but emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually, in a relationship with Him. Well, many of you know that there's a new movie out starring Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. I don't know how many of y'all have seen that yet, but did you realize Mr. Rogers' neighbor? How many of y'all watched that growing up or have seen clips of it? A lot of y'all have, okay? Don't be scared, it's all right. We all watched him flip his shoe and put his cardigan on. But do you realize that show ran from 1968 to the year 2000? That's a long time, I think 32 years, 895 episodes. And in 1997, Mr. Rogers won the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. And during this speech, he said this. I'm not going to try to talk like him because I can't do it. 
So many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven, he said. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in your life. Ten seconds of silence. And he stopped and says, I'm going to count it off. So everybody do that right now. Right in the middle of this awards ceremony with all these movie stars and actors all along. And he paused for ten seconds. And then he said, whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel that they've made in your life. Now, we're not going to do that this morning, but I want to encourage everybody here today that this week is Thanksgiving. And maybe sometimes on Thursday or sometime this week, just get, even if it's 10 seconds, write write a name down. Right now on your bulletin, take out your phone and put it on your notes. Write down a name that you said, you know what, I've been meaning to call. I've been meaning to send a thank you. I've been meaning to check on. And if you do it just for one person, think about the difference it can make. And I encourage you to do that this week. Well, one of the things we do every week at this church, and I'm so thankful and blessed to be a part of a church that does that, is we take communion every Sunday. And the reason we do that, y'all, is for this very reason, to pause and thank God and remember what Jesus did for us. To stop. And every one of you had to stop your busy schedule and be here this morning. So I'm so grateful that you came to church this morning. So grateful. You could have been doing a lot of other things, but you are like the one out of the ten that says, no, I'm going this morning. You may not have felt like it physically or emotionally or spiritually, but you got up and you're here, and I'm thankful for that. And we're going to pause in a minute together and take communion and remember by taking a little piece of bread that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could be in relationship with him forever. And we're going to take a little cup of juice that reminds us of the blood that he actually shed on that cross to forgive our sins and give us not only forgiveness here and now and life here and now, but eternal life with Him in relationship forever. And that's something that we need to do, and I'm so glad that we do that. So this morning, as we prepare for that, Kevin's going to come up in a minute and lead us in a song and help prepare our hearts. If you're a guest here today and you're not a member of our church, that doesn't matter. If you're a Christian and a believer and you would like to participate in communion, we invite you to certainly be a part of that. If you're not comfortable with that, that's okay too. But in a little while, you'll be served communion in some trays, and you can take that little piece of bread and hold it and reflect a little bit, a little cup of juice and and hold it, or you can take it and put it back in the tray, whatever you're comfortable with. But we're going to do that together as we do each week, and it's important. But I also want to offer an invitation as we prepare our hearts. We're going to sing. Kevin's going to lead us in a song in a minute. But before we do that, I want to offer an invitation. I know of one young lady that's coming this morning to be baptized and to give her life to Christ. And even at a young age, Miss Chloe here understands that she needs a Savior. How powerful that is at such a young age. That your family that I know is here, a lot of your family's here today, to love you through this special, special thing. She understands she needs a Savior. And so maybe there's somebody else here today that realizes, you know what, I do need a Savior. I realize I can't do it on my own, and and getting into religion and legalism is not going to save me, but getting into the one relationship that does save us with Jesus makes all the difference in the world. So we're going to offer that invitation. So we're going to stand right now, and we're going to sing, and if you have a decision you want to make this morning, 